Thank you for listening to Can We Keep It Real, hosted by your boy Mikey. If you want to be a guest or you want to make a donation, hit me up at canwekeepitreal40 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Yo, you're good. It's your boy Mike. This is Can We Keep It Real, looking into another Mafia podcast. How we doing? Some people ask me if I'm scared to be talking about the mafia in New England. I mean, I ain't saying anything that's not public record, not on social media. I would never speak what I hear on the streets, you know what I mean? I just do this for the podcast, you know, I I do this because it's a good subject to talk about. People like to hear it, and people like Bobby friggin' Scumbag DeLuca need to be exposed for the piece of shit that he is. And witness protection program is a joke. Witseg is a friggin' joke. You got guys telling all crazy shit. They murdering people. They doing this. They doing that. They going in witness protection for a couple years. And witness protection, it's a real strict friggin' place. Not that I've been there. But from the research I did, they make you get a job. You have handlers. You do this. You do that. And most people can't handle that life. So what happens? They go back to doing whatever they did before. They went into the rat squad as if you're a bank robber, but you're murdering people, you're burying people, you're telling on people, you're getting friggin' immunity deals, you're getting witness protection. Fuck that. We need to expose the phony, the ones that are not keeping it real, and the ones that are keeping it real, they know who they are. We don't have to talk about them. It's your boy, Mikey. This is Can We Keep It Real? Coming up, Bobby DeLuca. Well, he dropped more intel how Patriarca Jr. lost the New England Mafia. We'll be right back. Can we keep it real? In the 1980s, Patriarca Jr., he saw his kingdom crumbling to the ground in front of his eyes. His troops were growing restless. They were getting mad. He had weak leadership. His downfall, they came to light in federal court the last few weeks. As his mob successor, Cadillac Frank, he stands trial for the 93 murder of Boston nightclub owner Stevie DeSaro. Salemi and Patriarca Jr. were allies during a war that broke out in 89. Patriarca Jr., he'll eventually turn on Caddy Frank, a guy that his father really respected and, and really helped push him up. He, he was going to have him assassinated behind bars. Patriarca Jr. took power after the death of his father. The crime family's namesake, Raymond Patriarca, he passed away of a sudden heart attack in 89. Following heading the organization for more than 20 years from his headquarters by his lawn chair on Federal Hill outside the coin shop. The 84-year-old Salemi was one of the elder Patriarca's top enforcers in Boston during the 60s. He got out of the joint in the spring of 87 for a car bombing that he did for Patriarca. Barboza was testifying, so let me put a bomb under his lawyer's car and blew his lawyer's leg off, figuring that would slow him down. That got him immediately inducted into the crime family by Patriarca Jr., making him the main rep out in Boston, where he ended up replacing his mentor, Larry Ziano. He was locked up about the same time. Ziano being locked up and Salemi's unconventional fast rise through the ranks, that was a problem for Patriarca Jr. 
Ziana was well-liked and heavily respected. And Salemi, he was power-hungry. He wanted to rise to the top. Without Ziano on the streets to back Patriarca Jr., his crown is exposed, his family exposed. No one had faith in him. Nobody was afraid of him. None of his followers respected him. Mob crews out of East Boston and the North End, led by one-time J.R. Russo and his protege, Vinnie the Animal Ferrara, they resented Cadillac Frank rise with the Patriarca Jr., because after that, the books got closed, refused to induct any new members into the family after Caddy got his button. They beginning setting up a war. By 89, those whispers ballooned into a full-blown roar. According to people close, Angelo Sonny, he told Patriarca Jr. in May of 89 that if he didn't open up these books to replace Russo and Ferrara, he's going to have a fucking war on his hands. And in early June, Patriarca had a sit-down with Ferrara in New York at Saratoga Racetrack. But the face-to-face -face didn't solve shit, though. On June 16th, Salemi was set up in a shootout outside the Saugus Mass IHOP restaurant by Masulo and Patriarca Jr.'s underboss. And also, Connecticut Goodfellow, William the Wildman Grasso, he was killed also. He thought he had to sit down in Providence with Raymond Patriarca Jr. On the way, he was shot in the back of the head and jumped off on some bank near some water on the way. Salemi ended up getting shot like six to nine times, ended up running up the street to a, to a pizza house, then got himself to the hospital. He checked out of the hospital after about a week, and he dipped out to Cali. And Patriarca Jr. hoped to starve off the insurgents by making peace. Per testimony this week that you heard from Bobby DeLuca, he was summoned to the Providence mob captain Anthony the Saint's house by Patriarca Jr. and asked to broker talks with the, with the mob in order to, to quiet shit up. Once partners in a bookmaking business, DeLuca and the Saint had a real bad fallout in 2000s. And in 2016, taking out multiple murder contracts on his head. DeLuca had a sit-down up on the north end, outside the elementary school playground, and then another at a coffee shop. And he was told that Caddy was shot because of the drug deal going bad, which DeLuca knew that wasn't the story. See, DeLuca and Caddy, they were pretty tight at the time. This was before DeLuca was a rat. Well, DeLuca was born a rat. When DeLuca requested that Ferrara and Russo come to Providence for a sit-down with Patriarca Jr., they refused. So Patriarca having no heart like his father. See, his father would have made sure them guys came to Providence. There wouldn't have been no refusing with, with Patriarca Sr. But Patriarca Jr., he ended up going to Boston for a sit-down and bringing Bobby DeLuca and the Saint as backups. The Don met with the leaders of the rebellion in the cafe of Massachusetts General Hospital. Days later, Rhode Island Mob Powerhouse, good-looking Maddie, met with Ferrara at Providence Pizza Power to tell him he was taking over the Connecticut Territory, which was previously overseen by Grasso, and would be providing Russo 
a bigger piece of the action of the state's racket. After that, Gambino's family got involved in the negotiations. See, the Gambino supported Patriarca Jr.'s promotion of Boss earlier this, this year. The Teflon Don himself, John Gotti, at the point of the most prominent godfather on the East Coast, called both sides of the conflict to have sit-downs in Manhattan. See, Gotti respected Patriarca Sr. Everybody did. He was part of the original commission set up at the Appalachians. And Gotti just pretty much told them all, Russo, stop the violence. And DeLuca said on behalf of Patriarca's family was told, there should be no retaliation for the attacks on Salemi and Grasso. And that is that, according to informant files. Gotti in turn arranged for Russo to get a bump up to Consigliere. Patriarca Jr. to make a dozen of his men and DeLuca to be inducted as his reward for his role as a peacemaker. At another sit-down in the back office of DeLuca Lorenzo's jewelry store in North Providence, Russo and Ferrara, they demanded that Jr. step down. They said, you ain't running this shit like a boss. This is not how a boss acts. Russo hollering at Patriarca Jr., Patriarca Jr. ended up agreeing to resign because they were pretty much saying, we'll kill you if you don't. In order to save face and not be publicly embarrassed, he made a deal with Russo where he would be allowed to conduct the upcoming making ceremony and then tell the organization's rank and file that he's stepping down the mob on his own volition, on his own doing, and handing the reins to Nicky Bianco. See, that was already set up by Gotti. They pretty much told him how it was going to go down. About a month later, Russo invited the Providence and Connecticut families to a party at the Lombardo's restaurant in East Boston to kick off Labor Day weekend and kind of buried a patchet and make peace. The party was end up held on Russo's dad's birthday. The making ceremony, staged the October, was famously bugged by the feds, courtesy of help of Sonny Masulo. Within weeks, Patriarca Jr., Bianco, Russo, Ferrara, and others were all indicted on racketeering charges. And this is where pretty much Cadillac Frank's rise really, really started stepping up, where he started becoming beast mode. When Bianco was convicted at trial in 91, Cadillac Frank assumed command and proceeded to continue to fight it with the East Boston crew for almost the entirety of his in power. So let me dodge a, a murder contract taken out on him by Patriarca Jr. The disposed Jr. did eight years in the joint. Today he's an old man and, and I think he's still selling real estate. Ferrara's been out over a decade ago. He's retired running some nice little businesses in the North End stomping ground. Google Medi, well, he was up to underboss recently. Busted by the feds in 95, so let me turn witness for the government in 99. Saying that building a case against a corrupt agent. But he lied to, to the feds about Stevie DeSaro hit. And when DeSaro mains were found behind a bill owned by Billy Ritchie from him getting busted, um, from renting to some people that were, that were growing marijuana... Billy Ritchie decided it would be a good time to friggin' 
to flip and tell him where the body was buried. DeLuca knew that there would be a problem. Caddy Frank knew there would be a problem. See, the feds knew both them guys were involved on a DeSaro hit, but it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. And after they were both given immunity deals, both of them denied their involvement. See, Caddy Frank first denied his involvement. He would have threw that in on his deal, but he didn't ever admit it to none of the Patriarca murders. He just admitted to all his Boston hits. Caddy was in the program until the remains were found in 2016. He was yanked out of the program and arrested for the DeSaro homicide. Prosecutors are saying that Cadillac Frank Salemi had the 43-year-old DeSaro killed for stealing money from a joint business venture, the Channel Nightclub that was in South Boston, and thought he was cooperating with the FBI and the IRS. Bobby DeLuca and his brother, both in their 70s, Bobby flipped in 2011 and admitted to being tasked with burying DeSaro's body. And now Bobby DeLuca testifying and filing statements of a host of other murders that happened back then in the 90s. So if you were down with Bobby DeLuca, you better watch your ass. Hey, this is Mike, Can We Keep It Real podcast. Any information that you heard in this podcast was taken from public record. Nothing is anything of any privacy or any secrecy. Everything was taken from the internet, from actual file footage. I would never jam anyone up or try to throw someone under the bus. So can we keep it real? But Bobby DeLuca, you are not keeping it real. You should be ashamed of yourself. It's your boy Mikey. And if you want to be a special guest, email me at canwekeepitreal40 at gmail.com. Check me out on Twitter. Instagram, can we keep it real? Check you out later. When Cadillac Salemi arrived at court in a wheelchair, his frame was in a loose suit and his feet were tucked easy into his black sneakers. He grabbed the arms of the chair behind the defense table, hard to step up, waiting for the jury's arrival. His face, paper, skin, his whispery gray hair, and a really no resemblance to any of his mugshots of long ago, back when his jaw was like friggin' stone. It's hard to see through the old man that he's really a man that we used to know as Cadillac, a crazy-ass gangster who admitted to plenty of killings. He went to prison for a car bomb bombing that blew off a man's leg. The guy that he blew off a leg was the lawyer that was testifying against Patriarca, Barboza, to try to convince Barboza not to testify. Cadillac Frank was at one time like a very powerful mafia boss. He became the head of the New England crime family, Costa Nostra. John Gotti pretty much set that up to put him into position. His friend and partner... James Whitey Bolger, he was a notorious Boston crime boss. Just a few months, you know, in 2016 in March, someone snitched. And because of that, human reins were found behind a bill in Branch Ave in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. And that set the motion for a murder trial against Mr. Salemi, another murder trial. 
but the cops say the crime itself took place a quarter century ago. How are you going to get 70-year-old men to remember a quarter century ago? And if you see all the underworld plays, you're like, oh my god, they don't look nothing like who they once were. I mean, here we are, larger-than-life gangsters that, at one time, ran the New England crime family. I mean, in this trial, everybody's been burned here by informants. Everybody ratting. I mean, nowadays, the New England organized crime family, it's uncertainty. It's all messed up. There's been too many leadership changes. It's definitely not what it was 20, 25 years ago. But there's no one trial that's going to put an end to any of it. Mobsters today, see, they got into more sophisticated crimes than nightclubs, shakedowns, bookmaking, you know, high-end loan shocking, gambling, real estate flips, fraudulent loans, drug trafficking, yada, yada, yada. These new young criminals, they don't know what's really going on. They don't know loyalty. I mean, but if you look at the guys back then, I guess obviously they didn't know loyalty either. In the end, we're all going to lose. It's just whether we're going to be in a cage or we're going to be in the ground while our family sings the blues. I mean, guys like Whitey Boja, Cadillac, you know, like Rudolf Schiara, like these were real criminals, real, you know, made men that really scared the shit out of people. They hold so much swag. I mean... Boston changed over the years. Even the nightclub that Cadillac operated, the channel, is not even there anymore. Now it's a big building for General Electric for a headquarters. But see, back in 93, Caddy Frank had a son, Lil Frankie. And together, they had a little private share in the channel nightclub. But as they were partners, they kind of knew that there was going to be a problem with the sorrow. See, the club was actually managed by a real estate developer, Stephen DeSaro. The Salemis thought that, that Stevie is, was going to help investigators build a, a case against them. They said um, Salemi stood by his son as his son strangled Stevie DeSaro. While another guy in the case, Paulie the Plumber Wiedek, held his legs off the ground so it would be easier to friggin' strangle him. Then they had him buried in Providence. Frankie Jr. ended up dying a few years later of AIDS. The other two men, well now they're both on trial for murder as we now know. I mean, they're... Their lawyers are saying that, that the witnesses are accomplished government witnesses that, that made professional of lying. Stephen Buzang, the lawyer for, for Cadillac Frank, he's saying his client admitted to plenty of gangland killings, but not this one. It was a little bit of a kill or be killed back then, who was previously pleaded guilty to racketeering. We will cover that story, I promise. The lawyer went on to like, just because Caddy done bad things doesn't mean he did this. But Caddy Frank helped federal prosecutors in the early 2000s by testifying against corrupt FBI agent that was tied in with Whitey Bulger. And he's been living a quiet life in the witness protection program until 
Stevie's bones were found. Frankie Sr. ended up taking off when the authorities ended up catching up with him in Connecticut where his car was found with 28 grand in it. But this is what's left of the glory years of organized crime, whether it was the mob or the Bulger gang. You had a host of names and players. Cadillac Frank was one of them. No one ever emerged in the last 20 to capture the public eye. Like Caddy did. I mean, prosecutors have been calling and they will call more witnesses with crazy reputations and crazy nicknames like Paulie the Plumber, like you would never ever hear. Like, not he's not testifying, but I meant the nicknames. And other people, um, Stephen the Rifleman, he was, you know, Mr. Bulger's right hand man. Supposedly, he walked in on the killing. And then you got Robbie, Bobby the Cigar DeLuca, who we now call. Bobby the Rat DeLuca, he's been testifying, him and his brother, about the burial of him. And then you had Thomas Hillary, who's 973. He was associate of Patriarca Senior. And everyone knows Patriarca was like the head of the New England crime family. Hillary ended up coming out of the witness protection program for this case. Hillary already testified and was already up on the stand. You know, saying how, how they, they deal drugs, they did rip-offs. But he got, Mr. Salemi got really pissed at him. And how Frank had, um, had you know, yelled at him at a Chinese restaurant and ran him out of town in the, in the 90s. He said, Caddy goes crazy. He grabbed him by the throat and he said, bada bing, bada boom. Before the lawyers interrupt to ask, what the hell does that mean? See, he got thrown out of town for stealing $4,000 from Caddy. Yeah, Caddy's probably, he probably had every right to, to whack the guy. And I know you're saying, oh, four grand, enough to whack the guy. But it ain't about the $4,000, it's about principle. And when we're talking about principle, just like you know, son, you profit from crime, you don't rat on your friends, especially at 73 years old. Like, you're going to die anyway in a, in a couple years, but, yo... Stay tuned. More Can We Keep It Real. It's your boy Mikey, and we're diving into the New England Mafia, Cadillac Salemi. You want to come on the show and do an interview? You want to come on and whatever you want, let me know. Can We Keep It Real? 40 at gmail.com. Cadillac Frank, Whitey Bulger, Steve the Rifleman Flamini, Bobby DeLuca, Eddie Lato. Tommy Furt. There's so many names of these guys that go on and on. Kevin Harrahan. This is like made for TV shit. But back in the day, Bolger and Cadillac Frank, they were very, very tight. They were actually suspected of killing somebody in Las Vegas. A lot of you probably know who Whitey Bolger is. Some of you might remember the portrayal by Johnny Depp in the movie Black Mass, the Whitey Bulger story. The movie tells a story of Whitey Bulger's rise and his fall and his knowledge with the FBI and business dealings with John Connolly, an FBI agent, that allowed Whitey Bulger to do whatever the hell he wanted. For years, when Whitey Bulger was on the run, people suspected that he was slipping in and out of Vegas numerous times. 
But his dealings with Vegas PD, Metro PD, they go way deeper than that. Way deeper. I mean, to start it off right, you have to go all the way back to the 60s. The story pretty much starts with two of Mafia's most deadliest henchmen and forces led another Boston mob guy out to a desert. But I don't think that guy knew it was only a one-way trip. Las Vegas even has a Mafia museum, and there's a space in there for reputed gangsters, the most notorious and the most probably well-known gangster of all time besides John Gotti. Yep, that space is James Whitey Bulger's space. He was the leader of the Boston's Winter Hill Gang. They made so many movies about it. Like, Whitey Bulger was handling shit. I mean, he was, he had a fed. They all got feds, I guess. You know, all these guys got a handle of that. That tells them pretty much what's going on at that kind of money. Why not? Hanging up inside the museum is only 60 photos of murder victims that Whitey Bulger and his hoodlums whacked out over the years. There's one particular picture of a Boston gangster that kind of sticks out. Peter Polis, he was a small-time Boston hoodlum. He just knew too much of Whitey Bulger and the rifleman's business. If you remember the movie The Departed, the ruthless Jack Nicholson's character in the hit film is based on Bulger. His right-hand man, Mr. French, was inspired by Flamini who is a witness in several recent trials, has admitted involvement in over 20 killings. Flemmy is just one of a host of guys that been knocked off over the years that became a witness for the government. I mean, he testified against his own boy, Whitey, including information about the cold case murder near Las Vegas. And if you're familiar watching Las Vegas mob movies, if you're going to dump somebody, the Las Vegas desert right off Highway 16 is a better place than any. When the detectives found the body, they were certain it was a mob hit just by how well the guy was dressed. It was October 1969, and Detective Jimmy Duggan and Chuck Lee, they would get called to investigate a body. It was an unidentified body found in the desert. It was a man that didn't die from natural causes. The cause of death was actually two gunshot wounds to the back and one to the back of the head. The dead man had a mouthful of gold friggin' teeth, which they were taking out and uh, they put him in a mold and photographed. The photos were then sent over to law enforcement agencies all around the country. It wasn't like today. They, had com they didn't have computers and fax machines and all this shit. Shit took time. But soon enough, they got a call from a police sergeant in Boston. The Boston sergeant was on the phone and he said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to tell you who your body is and I'm going to also tell you who killed them. The teeth ended up being identified as mob associate Paul Poulos, who had fled Boston with Whitey, Steve Flamini, and Cadillac motherfucking Frank. See, Whitey always found out who was going to roll before they rolled. So Las Vegas... Police got information from Boston that, that Whitey was tipped off that, that Pete was ready to roll. And he was going to help the FBI. And since Flamini and Boulder were both working for the FBI as well, they were going to get that information. So Bo just set it up for them all to take a trip. 
and the plan was to kill Pete before they got back to Boston. Enough said. In Los Angeles, for many, Salemi and Pulos, there was evidence that they were all in uh, the same house or the same apartment. Flemmy and, and Pulos decided to head for Vegas to party, but Pulos only made it off the Highway 16. So with the evidence that the Vegas PD had, they filed a murder warrant, and then they went down to talk to the DA, George Franklin, and they wanted to see if it was all right to arrest and extradite the suspects. So when the detectives got to the DA's office, they were excited, thinking they were about to break a big mafia case, a New England mafia case. But when they sat down with the DA, the DA said, I'm not going to do this for you. I can't. I cannot permit you to go on with this case. I cannot permit you to go to Boston. The police officers were in awe. They didn't understand. They said, what do you mean? We got information that they're working with, that, that they did this, they did that. And the DA said, we can't touch them. They're working with the authorities. They're with the feds. See, John Connolly made it made sure anytime any organization, police department got close to Whitey, he nipped it in the butt. See, Detective Lee ended up finding out when he got back and he finally sat down and talked with a couple of Boston cops that was going to tell him what was really going on. Lee couldn't believe how complicated the situation was. He thought, we got all the evidence, let's lock him up. See, Whitey at the time was giving the feds information about other mobsters, other families, other factions. And he was also paying for FBI agents and the police for protection for his own rackets. Sheriff Ralph Lamb in Vegas tried to help, but the case was, was stuck at every turn. You can't mess with a guy protected by the FBI. So everything came to a stop. It looks like Bitey Bulge's... Um, Pat, you know, took him to Vegas. He stayed on the run for another 16 years or so. Um, he was always listed as the FBI's most wanted fugitive. But when he was finally caught in Santa Monica, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't, like, I thought the guy was dead. How are you going to be on the run all these years? But when FBI raided his house, they found an arsenal of guns in his condo. A few that even had been purchased at Las Vegas gun shows. Whitey was in and out of Vegas so much, and he had so much money when they finally caught him. What's really funny is, um, Las Vegas, everybody thought they were totally corrupt and not even trustworthy because all the gambling that was going on in Vegas. But as it turned out, it was actually the feds that was in bed with the mafia, not Vegas. Well, that's the story about James Whitey Bulger, Stephen Fermeni, Frank Cadillac, when they killed Peter Pulos, a small-time Boston hood who just too much about Whitey and Steve, and he was about to flip. If you're going to flip, make sure the people you're going to flip on ain't connected to the FBI. Thanks for listening. The story of Whitey Bulger's trip to Vegas. This is Mikey Ribello, keeping it real all day, every day. Stay tuned tomorrow for more episodes. I'm going to try to drop like four or five tonight. But you got to realize this is a lot of work. But thank you. You want to be a special guest? Let me know. 
Hit me up. Can we keep it real? 40 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Yo, what's good? And this is your boy, Mikey. And this is Can We Keep It Real? How y'all doing today? Hope y'all having a good time, enjoying the work, enjoying the day off, enjoying whatever the frig you're doing today. In weeks coming up to this, we've been following the former New England Mafia boss, Francis Cadillac Salemi. He's on trial from planning a hit and murdering Boston nightclub owner Stevie DeSaro, who was once a Providence native. Well, it looks like the motherfucking rat squad at it again. Former mob captain and one time underboss Bobby the Cigar DeLuca, now known as Bobby MVP Testifying DeLuca. He pled guilty to conspiracy charges in connection to a 92 hit on Kevin Harrahan last friggin' week, um, a while back in Boston. He's also gonna plead guilty, he also pled guilty to lying to the feds five years ago when he entered the friggin' rat squad about the gangland slaying of Stevie DeSaro. See, Harrahan, he was whacked on a night in April of 92 in Federal Hill coming out of a restaurant. He was leaving the diner with the with one of DeLuca's good friends, Ronnie Coppola. You're going to hear about a lot of best friends turning on each other in this friggin' story. But DeLuca, he got hauled out the program in the summertime, and he got charged for perjury in a DeSaro case. Bobby had admitted to burying DeSaro behind a converted mill in, in Boston. DeSaro's remains were dug up in March after Billy Ritchie got busted, renting to a tenant that was growing weed and was facing a couple years in the feds. See, the godfather of New England mob in the early 90s, Francis Cadillac Salemi, he was also arrested. He was living in a witness protection program as well, and he was charged in a DeSaro hit. He pleaded not guilty, though. Salemi's considered a suspect in the Harahan hit as well, thanks to Bobby DeLuca, the friggin' rat, and a bunch of other homicides that he allegedly ordered his tenure on top of the mob. I'm told that DeLuca gave up so many murders they had to slap him to shut him the hell up. Like, you're going to see charges coming down. People are going to start rolling. Salemi, who lived in Boston, he became the boss of the Patriarca crime family in the 90s. See, he made Bobby DeLuca his second-in-command in Providence. See, they were goombas. They trusted each other. Salemi always trusted DeLuca. Too bad... He shouldn't have trusted him. Too bad when the saint wanted to whack him, he didn't let that hit go through. They should have whacked each other out. See, the saint and Bobby DeLuca, they hated each other, despised each other. They both said each other was a rat. And ironically, they were both probably correct. See, Harahan, he was a collector and a hitman for the Patriarcha squad dating back from the 70s. But he was beefing with Caddy in Providence Capital, Anthony de St. Laurent, in the weeks leading up to the slaying, which is probably why he was in the sit-down to begin in the first place. Harrahan, 39, was shaking down a bookmaker in mass, but he was under St. Laurent's protection for like 100 Gs. The bookie told the saint, who in turn told Salemi, and the one that he reported to, Gordy O'Brien, out there in Massachusetts. 
See, the saint at the time was doing a bit also. He did 10 years for extortion and attempted murder. He tried to get people to whack Bobby DeLuca. See, when the saint was locked up, he was asking anybody who would listen, do you know a hitman, do you know a hitman? It only took the feds two hours to put, to wire someone up and put him in a saint cell. You know, when you have that much hatred towards somebody, you, you kind of slack off a little. But, but the night Harriham was killed, he dined with, you know, like we said, Ronnie Capola at the Arch, which is now, I think, called the Mediterranean. It's like an upscale restaurant, you know, in the middle of the hill. Harriham told Capola and others, people at the meal, that he had a big score in the works that he was getting ready to go take care of when he left for the meeting. He said he'd come back later where Capola was having dinner. He was going to be at Jimmy Birchfield Classic Restaurant. But as soon as Haverhan stepped outside the door to go to his presumed big score, a hit that was set up from the beginning, Haverhan heard a shot. He was shot in the face and the head with three shots from close range. He was the toughest male Irishman he died like an hour later over at the hospital. Instead of reconnecting with Harahan at Birchfield, Capola was a witness talking to DeLuca and the Patriarcha clan capo, Eddie Lato, in a booth less than a half hour after he was killed. Capola was killed in 94 at a freaking card game he was running over in Cranston by another New England mobster. He had booted from the game earlier in the day. Lato's doing time for an extortion conviction. And we hear that Bobby DeLuca's saying that Lato did the hit on Harahan, so Lato will probably be charged with this shit. So you'll be seeing motherfucking rap Bobby DeLuca back up on the stand handling this shit again. Although DeLuca was the number two on the totem pole to Salemi in the 90s, he was just a capo in 2000s. So he went backwards. Salemi went to the joint in 95, and then he ended up flipping like four years later when he, when he heard that Connolly, longtime FBI agent, was working with Whitey Bulger. And DeLuca, not long after that, he also joined Team Motherfucking America in 1911. I mean, 2011. Right after he got arrested for a little extortion beef. This shit is crazy. DeLuca is going to continue testifying today. Yesterday, DeLuca was asked if, if he's a rat. Yeah, he knows he's a rat. But he gave up the Harahan hit. Supposedly, he gave up a bunch of other hits. We'll see what's going on. Thanks for listening. This is Can We Keep It Real? And this is your motherfucking boy, Mikey Rebello, man. Shout out Providence, Rhode Island. Shout out United Kingdom. I think it was Plymouth. They were listening. Yo, check it out for more shit on this vengeful mafia trial. The trial of Cadillac Francis Frank motherfucking Salemi. Yo, I'm out. It's your boy Mikey. Keep it motherfucking real all day, every day. Peace. Yo, what's up? Welcome back to Can We Keep It Real? And I'm your motherfucking host, Mikey motherfucking Rebello, yo. Cadillac Frank kept his mouth shut about the DeSaro murder to protect his friend Bobby DeLuca. Bobby DeLuca did the same until he didn't anymore. See, Cadillac Frank, he was interviewed by the FBI 
plenty times. And he always said he had nothing to do with the killing of the sorrow in the 93 homicide. See, Bobby DeLucas is a star witness against Cadillac Frank. But Cadillac Frank put him in charge of burying the sorrow back in 93, allegedly. See, Frank wanted to look out for his boy, Bobby, because that's what, that's what people do. He liked Bobby. It was his goomba. See, Bobby only had a few left on his bid when Frank ended up flipping. And he knew because it's his boy, ah, it'd be nice he going back to his family. He'll, be, he'll get on the street. He didn't want to trip him up with, with, a, with a murder beef or, or a lot of murder beefs. Frank knew that if he came forward about Bobby's participation in the murder, that would have opened up a lot of doors for a lot of other people. And there was a whole lot of people that had shit on their hands in the 90s. If you end up admitting to one, there's a whole others that jump behind. I mean, Providence, Rhode Island was a war zone during that time. One of those other murders would be the 92 hit on Kevin Harahan, who six months before the DeSaro hit, DeLuca fingered Cadillac Frank in that hit too, and probably even more. The Sorrow and Cadillac Frank, see, they were co-owners in the Channel Nightclub in Southie. It was a rock and roll joint, new wave music venue. You know, they were getting money. Back then, like, that was money. It was cocaine era was coming around. You know, it, in March of 93, the FBI approached the Sorrow about cooperating and explained to him that his ass was about to go to jail on some real estate fraud. They told him that on the morning of May 10th of that year that Cadillac Frank said, bring the sorrow to my house, we need to talk. His son, Frankie Boy Jr., he strangled him. The next day, DeLuca and his brother Joey, they were to meet Cadillac Frank in Rhode Island, where the other DeLuca would take possession, Joey took possession of the sorrow's body. And they were going to bury it at, at their buddy's mill in Providence. See, Joey DeLuca didn't want his brother Bobby to, to get in trouble because figured out, no sense of both going to jail. Let me go get the body so if one of us gets picked up with the body, we both will get picked up with the body. Then they figured we'll go throw it at Billy Ritchie's place. See, everything was good for the last couple decades until Billy Ritchie got caught in a in a drug case. So he decided he decided to flip and tell him, dig right here, this is where Stevie DeSaro's buried. Like after a while there ain't no motherfucking loyalty. You ever wonder where you're standing if there's a body under you? See, to buy the club, Cadillac Frank put up the money. But the sorrow will let him put it in his name. The channel was the intent on Cadillac Frank. We're going to use it for a place to launder business. See, the sorrow had owned other nightclubs in Mass, Rhode Island, South Florida. There was one guy that went on to saying that if we brought in $100,000 
80 grand comes off the top, and the IRS will know nothing about it. Even Cadillac Frank was caught on an FBI wire discussing the interest in the place. I mean, it was an up-and-coming rock and roll joint. He heard bragging on the wire. He was talking like heavy metal and shit, you know, music that he probably wouldn't listen to. But the young people in the area, and there was a lot of money to be made there. See, he was introduced to him to a surrogate son that ended up robbing Cadillac Frank. And Cadillac Frank said, you got one choice. Get the hell out of town. That guy is also in the witness protection program. Like, there are more doors open and closing. And that witness protection program, in this case, it'll make a friggin' head spin. We'll be right back with more Keeping It Real. Thank you for listening to Can We Keep It Real, hosted by your boy Mikey. If you want to be a guest or you want to make a donation, hit me up at canwekeepitreal40 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back.